0: hi! Uh, Didn't see you there. Welcome back. Um, If this is the first time you're seeing one of these, uh, this is the the first one. What you're watching is part five. This is part one of five. So if you want to hear the whole Dhammapada, this translation, um, the timeless classics version, uh, you can start with that one. And um, yeah, so there's a playlist as well. Uh, you can check out my, um, this is my channel. There's Buddhist books and a few other things on there if you're interested in that sort of thing. Do you notice anything different about me? Huh? Huh? It's a bookshelf. It's, it's a very nice bookshelf um, that uh, just arrived recently. So the, the Buddhist books in question, what we're reading, they're on the second from the top. So if you can see those colorful books at the top, those are the Vedas. Um, Got some Shakespeare and some Tanakh and a few other things at the top. And that that whole second row is all the books that I plan to read on this series in this playlist on this channel. As I've said before, I might have a long gray beard by the time I reach the end of that. I don't know. We'll see. Um, I I believe that today we'll be finishing the Dhammapada. So let's get right into it. Uh, You didn't tune in to hear me rambling on. Um, I'll talk a little bit more at the end. So let's get to it. Chapter 24. Desire. The desire of the unmindful man Grows like a creeper. (laughs) A double entendre, I don't think that the translators intended. Like a monkey jumps from tree to tree seeking fruit, so does the man of desire jump from life to life. Whomsoever in this world is conquered by this wicked grasping desire, his sufferings grow as abundantly as grass soaked by rain. But whomsoever in this world conquers this wicked grasping desire, which is so difficult to conquer, his sufferings slide off him just as drops of water slide off a lotus leaf. This I tell you, not me, the This I tell you, good wishes to all gathered here. He who seeks the root of the the sweet-scented usira must first dig up the roots of the birana grass. He who seeks the root... Oh, wait, I already said that. Do not let mara, the temper, crush you again and again as the flood crushes the reeds, end quote. So from this, I tell you to just as a felled tree grows again and again, as long as its roots are safe, so will suffering return again and again till the roots of desire are not destroyed. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and correct that. Uh, Till the roots of desire are destroyed. Because till being short for intel, so it's not until they are not destroyed, it's until they are destroyed. Or so long as they are not destroyed. Sorry to be so picky. <clears throat> he in whom thirty-six streams of desire run toward pleasure. Yes. That misguided man will be carried away Upon the waves of his desires. These streams of desire flow everywhere And the creeper of desire Creeper of desire Another band name Sprouts I like spouts better, but it says sprouts And grows Wise is he who sees this creeper and cuts it off from its very root by means of wisdom. Cut the Creeper off at the root by means of wisdom. Okay. Desires flow like streams toward human beings, giving rise to feelings of pleasure and lust. Those seeking these pleasures are destined to repeat the cycle of birth and decay. Trapped by desire, men run around like a snared hare. Held by shackles and bonds, they undergo suffering again and again for a long time. Trapped by desire, men run around like a snared hare. Okay, I'm not repeating, it's saying it again. Just clarify. So let the monk who strives for detachment destroy all desires within him. But as my teacher Gordon once said, if you want to keep the desires, you have to embrace the suffering. He said the Buddha said that. Buddha didn't say that. He leaves the forest of desire, remember the forest of desire, and enters the forest of asceticism. They're both forests? Why isn't one of them a desert or something? or like a tundra. But then he rushes back to the same forest of desire. That forest is a forest, I guess. Look at that man. Though free, he runs back into bondage. Much stronger than the shackles made iron, wood, or hemp, say the wise, are the shackles made of, I think that we we were missing an of- the four, I'm going to go ahead and put the of in. Just full disclosure, the of isn't in this book. I'm going to add it. <clears throat> Much stronger than the shackles made of iron, wood, or hemp, say the wise, are the shackles made of, that one they got, the desire to possess gems and jewelry. Did Were you able to download the information or was it just my, I'll just run it one more time. Much stronger than the shackles of made of <laughs> iron, wood, or hemp, say the wise, are the shackles made of des- the desire to possess gems and jewelry, the desire for sons and a wife. Right, okay. Because if you bind a man with iron shackles, he can gnaw off his arm and then go have a son and a wife. Not in that order, hopefully. These shackles are much stronger. They drag one down, and even though they appear loose, they are difficult to undo. The wise cut off these shackles, destroy all desires, and, having renounced the world, wander forth free. Trapped by their own desires, men fall back into the stream of desire, just as a spider falls back into the web of its own creation. The wise cut off these shackles, destroy all suffering, and having renounced the world, wander forth free. I mean, it begs the question, what is a Buddhist spider like? Obviously, it doesn't build webs. What does it do? Does it recycle all of that web building substance and raise it up? Spiders have Kundalini. So many questions. I think we'll get to that in some of these later books. Trapped by desire, men run around like a snared hare. So let the monk who strives for detachment destroy all desires within him. Oh wait, did did we we already read that? I'm so sorry. Uh, Trapped by their own desires, men fall back into the stream. Turn the page now. Let go of the past, let go of the future, let go of the present. Oh, uh, and cross over to the other shore of existence. Those whose minds are free will never undergo the cycle of birth and decay again. Those who are filled with doubts and restless thoughts, who are driven by passion and lust, in such men desire will grow more and more and their shackles will become stronger. But those who find bliss in a subdued mind and calm thoughts, who is aware, such men will destroy all desires and sever the shackles of Mara the temper. He who has reached his goal, who is fearless, who has destroyed all desires and sins, who has plucked out the thorn of existence, this will be his last body. He who is without desires and attachments, who understands the words and the interpretations of the teachings... Who knows the correct sequence of the written words? Such a man has received his last body. He is truly known as the great sage, the great man. Quote I have conquered all, I know all. In all conditions of life, I am free from taint. I have left all, and through the destruction of desire, I am free. Having learnt the truth myself, whom shall I call my teacher? End quote. The gift of the sacred truth exceeds all gifts. Continuity, I thought. Um, the sweetness of the sacred truth exceeds all sweetness. The bliss in the sacred truth exceeds all bliss. The destruction of desire conquers all suffering. Wealth destroys the foolish, but not those who seek the other shore. By desiring wealth, the foolish man destroys himself, as he would his enemy. Weeds destroy fields, as lust destroys mankind. Therefore, Offerings bestowed on those who are free of lust bring great reward. This is the tithing part. Weeds destroy fields as hate destroys mankind. Therefore offerings bestowed on those who are free of hate bring great reward. Weeds destroy fields as illusions destroy mankind. Therefore, offerings bestowed on those who are free of illusions bring great reward. By the way, my Patreon supporters, just kidding, I don't have Patreon. Weeds destroy fields as desire destroys mankind. Therefore, offering, offerings bestowed on those who are free of desire bring great reward. Chapter 25, The Bixu in parentheses, the monk. It is good to have control in the eye. It is good to have control in the ear. It is good to have control in the nose. It is good to have control in the th- in the tongue it is good to have control in the body it is good to have control in the speech it is good to have control in thought it is good to have control in all things i mean he could have said that first and then not a biksu who has control over all these things is free from all suffering he who has control over his hands and feet who has control over his speech and his self who delights in his inner growth who is calm solitary and content. He is called a bixu. The biksu who controls his speech, who speaks wisely and is humble, who teaches the meaning and practice of the sacred law. His words are sweet as honey, the bhiksu who dwells in the sacred law, who finds bliss in the sacred law, who meditates on the sacred law, and who is ever aware of the sacred law, will never fall away from the sacred law. Let him not despise what he has received, nor ever envy what others have gained. A bhiksu who envies others does not attain peace of mind. A bhiksu who does not despise what he has received, little though it may be, whose life is pure and who is ever earnest, such a bhiksu even the gods will praise. He who has detached himself from the I in his name and body and does not grieve over what is no more, he indeed is called a bhiksu. The bhiksu who acts with kindness and who is dedicated to the teachings of Buddha will enter the peaceful place, in parentheses, nirvana which marks the cessation of all worldly desires. O Bixu, empty this boat. It will go more swiftly if emptied. Free of passion and hatred, you will reach nirvana. Cut off the five lower shackles. Abandon the five higher shackles inculcate the five accomplishments. A bhiksu who has freed himself from the five bonds is called ogatina, he who has crossed the flood. Meditate, O bhiksu, and be not unmindful. Do not let your thoughts be led toward sensual pleasures. Unmindfully, do not swallow the burning iron ball in hell. End for you may then cry out, This is pain. Without knowledge, there is no meditation. Without meditation, there is no knowledge. He who has both knowledge and meditation is near nirvana. The bhiksu who dwells in an abode of solitude, whose mind is tranquil and who perceives the sacred law with clarity, experiences a state of blissfulness much beyond the ordinary. Whenever he perceives the origin and destruction of the body's elements, he finds happiness and joy. For the all-knowing ones, this is the beginning of deathlessness. Nirvana, in parentheses. And this is the beginning of nirvana for the bhiksu who is wise, disciplined, content, and restrained and who associates with noble friends, whose lives are pure and who are earnest. He who is gracious and well-behaved will find such bliss that his suffering will end. Just as the jasmine creeper sheds its withered flowers, so should you. O Biksu, shed your desires and hatred. The Biksu whose body, speech and mind are tranquil, who is restrained in thought, and who has renounced worldly pleasures is indeed the tranquil one. Rouse your own self, access your own self, thus self protected and attentive, you will live happily, O oh Biksu. You are your own protector. You are your own refuge. Hence, control yourself, as a merchant would curb a noble horse. The bhiksu who experiences complete bliss and faith in the teachings of Buddha will enter the peaceful place, nirvana, which marks the cessation of all worldly desires. Even a young bhiksu who applies himself devotedly so the teachings of buddha it brightens up this world just like the moon that emerges from behind the clouds chapter 26 the brahmin says in parentheses here the holy man but a little spoiler i've, I've read this before and uh he's actually talking about the caste so this is where Buddha goes all. Let's uh, talk about the caste system a little. Okay. <clears throat> With diligent effort, stop the stream of existence. In parentheses. Destroy all desires, O Brahman, Realize the decay of all things created and become the realizer of the uncreated. When the Brahman has taken the two paths, meditation and awareness, to beyond this world, then he has realized the truth. All his shackles fall away. He for whom there is neither this shore nor the other shore, for whom neither shore exists, and who is fearless and free of shackles, him I call a true Brahman. He who is meditative, free of blemishes and calm, who has finished all his tasks and attained the highest goal, him I call a true Brahman. The sun shines during the day, the moon shines during the night, the warrior shines when he wears his armor and the Brahman shines when he is in meditation but the Buddha shines in splendor day and night. He who has rid himself of evil is called a Brahman. He who walks in serenity is called a Samana, a monk. He who has renounced all impurities is called a Pabagita, or pilgrim. No one should attack a Brahman. And no Brahmin should respond with anger at his attacker. Woe to him who strikes a Brahmin. Yet more woe to him who reciprocates in anger. See what I'm saying here? There's a little more to this than just saying Brahma means holy man. And this is what he's saying. I Feel free to comment below. I shouldn't say too much. Uh, I'm not being critical of the caste system. I believe that... Uh, lord buddha is being critical of the caste system i mean when he became an ascetic in the first place and left his life as a king behind he was kind of leaving that system behind although that path is in place formally uh, in the context of those who uphold the caste system but but i don't know he's making some statements here that i think uh not going to say anything about <clears throat> i've said too much a brahman gains much if he restrains his mind from the pleasures of life when all desire to harm has vanished suffering too cease. oh, say ceases he who commits no harm by body speech or thought and is restrained on these three points him i call a true brahman he who has learned the sacred truth from his teacher should honor his teacher, just as the Brahman honors the sacrificial fire. Neither by his plaited hair nor by his family or by birth does a man become a Brahman is it too subtle? I don't know. I think the Buddha is being too subtle. Is he talking about the caste system? I think he's talking about the caste system. He who has realized the truth and embraced the sacred law, such a man is pure. He is a Brahmin. But sir, what if he's an untouchable? Oh, sorry. What is the use of your plaited hair, oh fool? Now, again, me, Edward Reeb, I'm just... I'm I have no opinion about the caste system on record formally. It's not a good idea for me to go on record on television here having uh you know a strong opinion about you know things. I'm a guest here in India. But uh I'm reading this book the Dhammapada from uh early Buddhism. Uh this is what it says. Okay. <clears throat> What is the use of your cloak made of animal skins? While within you dwell sins, you keep your exterior clean. Does this remind anybody of, yeah, yeah, okay. He who wears discarded rags is emaciated with veins visible over his entire body, who lives alone in the forest and meditates, him I call a true Brahmin. I do not call a man a Brahmin just because he was born from a mother of high status. If he is attached to his possessions, he is indeed arrogant, but he who possesses nothing and is detached, him I call a true Brahmin. He who has cut all his shackles, who is now fearless and who is no longer bound to this world and is free, him I call a true Brahmin. He who has cut the strap and the thong and the rope and brittle too. Okay, with the parentheses? You want the parentheses? Okay, okay. He who has cut the strap of hatred and the, th- the thong of desire. Might as well be a thong. And the rope and bridle too of false beliefs. Who has lifted the bar of ignorance and is now awakened him I call a true Brahmin. He who suffers abuse, assault, and punishment without showing any anger, whose power and army is his patience, him I call a true Brahmin. He who is free from anger, dutiful, virtuous, without desires, who is restrained and has received his last body, him. I call a true Brahman. He who does not cling to earthly pleasures, just as water clings not to a lotus leaf, and like a mustard seed clings not to the point of a needle, him I call a true Brahman. He who in this very life has realized the end of of his suffering, who has put down his burden and free from all shackles, him I call a true Brahman. He whose knowledge runs deep, who is wise, who recognizes which path is right and which is wrong, and who has attained the highest goal, him I call a true Brahman. He who keeps aloof both from the ordinary man and the ascetic, who dwells in no abode and who has no desires, him I call a true Brahman. The I here being Lord Buddha presumably. He who inflicts no injury, any being, uh, we can put in a pawn in there or something, uh, whether feeble or strong, and who does not kill nor cause slaughter, him I call a true Brahmin. Uh, if he were alive today, what would he say about... Oh, uh, He who is amiable among the antagonistic, who is calm among the violent, and is detached among the attached, him I call a true Brahman. He from whom lust, hatred, pride, and envy have dropped away like a mustard seed drops away from the point of a needle, him I call a true Brahman. He whose speech is true, enlightening, and free from harshness, who offends no one with his words, him I call a true Brahman. He who takes nothing in the world that is not given to him, whether it is long or short, small or large, good or bad, him I call a true Brahman. He seeks nothing from this world or the next, who has no desires and who is free from all shackles, him I call a true Brahman. He who has no attachments, who has freed himself of all doubts, through perfect wisdom, and who has entered into the depth of the deathless, him I call a true Brahman. He who in this world has risen above the bonds of good and evil, who is free from grief and sins, and is pure, him I call a true Brahman. He who is spotless, pure, serene, clear like the moon, and who delights in forsaking existence, him I call a true Brahman. He who has traversed this miry road, the impassable world and its vanity, who has wandered through and reached the other shore, who is mindful, meditative, free from doubts and attachments, and is content, him I call a true Brahman. He who has renounced all desires, who has renounced all attachments and become homeless, and in whom all see this is an English word and I'm struggling more than I do with the Sanskrit and in whom all concupiscence concupiscence alright and in whom all concupiscence is extinct him I call a true Brahman. sorry I, I must have you know skipped school that day He who has renounced all desires, who has renounced all attachments and become homeless, and in whom all covetousness is extinct, him I call a true Brahman. We're almost finished. He who is free from the bonds of mankind, who is even free from bondage to the gods, and who is free from all and every bondage, him I call a true Brahman. He who has discarded both pleasures and displeasures alike, who is calm and detached, and who, like a hero, has conquered all the worlds, him I call a true Brahman. He who knows the destruction and the rebirth of beings everywhere, who is free from bondage, exalted and awakened, him I call a true Brahman. He whose path cannot be traced by neither humans nor spirits or gods, who is free of impurities, and who is an arhat, an arhat. him I call a true Brahmin. He who is free of the past, present, and future, who has no attachments, and who calls nothing his own, him I call a true Brahmin, or a true communist, maybe. He who is noble, supreme, the hero, the great sage, the conqueror, who is free of all sins, pure, awakened, him, I call a true Brahman. He who knows his former lives, who sees heaven and hell, who has reached the end of births, who possesses great knowledge, who is a sage, and who has attained spiritual perfection, him, I call a true Brahman the Dhammapada Tetelestai it is finished all right so this is part six uh and the last of what turns out to be part six of six of the Dhammapada next time we will move a little bit to a different part of Bihar where the Mahayana school started to flourish a few hundred years later. So the the old school monks uh, that were with Buddha, when he passed on they kept going and they formed a school, they formed a sort of college and that continued and that was where Mahayana started to develop but then they kind of went off and did their own thing and started their own school. Sometime. Hopefully in the relatively near future, um, my wife and I will be going, uh, her family's from that region, so um, so we'll get to go see all those things, and that will be very nice. And I will show you as well. Um, if you haven't seen them, I've got these travel videos. Uh, they start off in Africa, but if you could jump to part six, it's a little bit more, it moves more quickly and there's music. Uh, part one is a little slow. If you're into slow things, well, you're watching this, so it's a little slow. But um, yeah, so okay, I've decided after this, I'm going to skip the boring stuff about Pali literature in general and move into the beginning of Mahayana with uh, the Lotus Sutra. Now, the first part of the Lotus Sutra is... It's, I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, it was written around 50 common era, or Anno Domine, as uh, they used to call it, the year of our Lord, um, you know, the common calendar. So 50, back in 50, they started writing like the first third of the Lotus Sutra, and then the second part was written more like around 100, and then the third part was written in 150. So we're doing that. Um this, the Dhammapada was written, I believe about 300 years before all that. So in BC times. After the Lotus Sutra, I am going to read a book whose name I don't recall at the moment. Uh, let's do something fun. I'm going to be reading a book about that one time that one of the Greek kings that were left behind after Alexander the Great uh, conquered the Persian Empire. Um, he was uh ruling like northeastern what's now I believe like Punjab i I assume um, and he became a devout Buddhist and he met with a sage and uh so this book is about that uh the the melin the melinda Pana is about that, so that'll come after the lotus Sutra um so this was written probably between 100 and 200. So I thought it would be nice to read it when it comes up in history, because a lot of stuff happens after that in Buddhism. And of course, in you know, Greek culture uh, and so on and so forth, which influenced so many of other cultures. So uh, you got to see my, my Buddhist bookshelf up close, see? this is, these are the Buddhist books. Um, If you have any questions about any of them, feel free to let me know. Here's Sarasvati, goddess of knowledge, and uh, education and music and things. All right. Uh, Do you want to come say hi before I say goodnight? We were just talking about you, how one day we're going to go to Bihar and see where all, all this Buddhist stuff here is down a little bit. It says P.U. Yay. Do you want to stay here while I do the prayer? Okay. <laughs> I'll come in in a minute. And then I'll make coffee. <clears throat> see, I'm not really a monk. Okay. Thank oh.